I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Surfboards by Skip Fry, Dick Brewer, Hap Jacobs, Greg Knoll, Tom Parrish, Eric Arakawa, the Tom Blake Catalina Paddleboard, Mickey Munoz, Gordon and Smith, Pacific Systems Homes, Duke Kahanamoku, Donald Takayama, Terry Martin, David Nueva, Rennie Yater, and Pat Curran among some of the boards in the offering for the spring edition of the California Gold Surf Auction. That takes place April 6th with closing of the auction on April 20th. California Gold Surf Auction Spring 2024, a finely curated selection of vintage historically significant surf lots. California Gold Surf Auction. Hey, podcast listeners, got to tell you about something spectacular coming up in October of 2024. It's the Boardroom Show, the Boardroom International Surfboard Show presented by U.S. Blanks, a large hall filled with the entire surfboard manufacturing industry, wetsuits, fins, gear, art, and of course, surfboards. Lots and lots of surfboards. That's coming up this October 2024 in Del Mar, California. The Boardroom International Surfboard Show presented by U.S. Blanks. Look, it's the turn of the new year. Here we are basically in January 2024. And this is the time that you start thinking about booking your spring and summer trips to Indonesia. I'll be going to Surfing Village in the Telos Islands. Incredible accommodations, incredible waves, and uncrowded, incredible food. Those are the three most important things. Accommodations, surf, and food. That's an equation that equals a happy surfer. Surfing-village.com. Go there, check it out. Check out their accommodations. Check out what they're all about. This will be my second trip there. Tell them that I sent you and receive a smacking good discount. Surfing Village in the Telos Islands, the last frontier. (music) 
Barton Lynch, the 1988 WSL ASP World Champion, is an intelligent, opinionated, and fun guy to talk to with a real sense of humility. Lynch is someone who seeks, who admits he might not have all the answers, and he'd love to chat with the person that does. He's a seeker of truth, and I think you're going to enjoy this conversation as we talk about the North Shore, we talk about early days of Barton's years on tour, what we saw go down at the Vans Pipe Masters this year, the upcoming WSL season, and lots of Olympic talk. We get into the Olympic controversy, a wide open and broad discussion with Barton Lynch. Let us begin. Barton Lynch, welcome to the Boardroom Podcast. It's good to see you and to speak with you again. How are you, my friend? I'm great, mate. Uh, Here in Hawaii, a stormy kind of day, rainy, stormy sort of day here in Hawaii. So after summer and and through what is consistently such a, you know, beautiful climate, beautiful temperature, it's nice to have some some different weather for a change. So we really look forward to winter and then these stormy days, they... They make you feel real homely, you know? Yeah, it's time for some um, Portuguese bean soup over there at, um, uh, what's that place, Bob's there in Haliva? I forget the name of it. <laughs> uh, there's a lot of good places. I like the old Cafe Haliva. Pizza Bob's. Pizza, Pizza Bob's. Bob's. There yeah. you go. Yeah, yeah. And I like the old Cafe Haliva for an Eggs Benedict, you know, that's always good. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and the, Cam- the Campbell brothers, Duncan Campbell. That's his business, so we like to support those guys. Yeah, my wife's been trying to replicate the Portuguese bean soup for, you know, 15 years now and (gasps) has sort of failed. But let me get started here. (laughs) 1988, WSL world champion at the time, ASP world champion, Barton Lynch, the namesake of the Barton Lynch Pro Surfing video game. Uh, Barton, if you will, take me back to the finals day of 1988, the world championship title run. Pipeline is perfect. It's finals day. You're in third place in the morning going into this world championship title as the day begins. Tell me how the day unfolds. Yeah. So, you know, that the lead up to that event, I mean, if you go back a year, 1987, I felt like I was, I was in good form that year. And in the first seven events, I made five finals had three firsts, two seconds, and two quarterfinals in the first seven events. And the last event of the year was at my home beach of Manly. And so I I felt like my destiny was playing out in front of me. You know, I was miles ahead on the ratings. I'd beaten Tom Curran, who was the reigning world champion, two events in a row in the semifinals on the way to winning the US Open. And then I beat him in the final at the Lacano Pro in France. So I'd beaten the, the world champ twice in a row, two events back to back, which I'd won. And I felt like I was the best surfer in the world. And, and, and I felt like I was going to win the world title at home in front of my family and friends. It was like the dream was coming true in front of my eyes. And then I went down to Hoshigor for the next event and my longtime surfboard sponsor, Aloha Surfboards, as I was putting my vest on to go out for my first round heat against John Shimoka, Shimuka, um, he came up to me and said, look, I think it's best I don't make your boards anymore. And I was baffled because I, I was actually riding Greg Cluffs at the time with his logos on them, and he didn't like that. 
Um, but and we'd had a couple of arguments about it, but his equipment, the boards just weren't good enough. And the boards I was riding from Weber's were winning me everything. And I was like, well, I'm I can't go back. I'm not, you know, I've got to stick with what I'm on. So he dropped me, dumped me after you know, decade of, you know, maybe more of being there for me as a sponsor and really a father figure, having lost my dad young, Greg Clough was a, you know, the owner of the company. He was like a father figure to me. And it, it really, it rattled me. And I went out and lost that first heat and I never lost in the first round, hardly ever, ever. And I lost first round and that just put the fear into me. And then I went on a bit of a losing spree in the next seven events. And then we, you know, and then I sort of, we came into Manly and I was in the running with, with Damien Hardman, Tom Curran, Tom Carroll, Gary Elkerton and Martin Potter and um, the usual suspects really. And um, at that point in time, and, you know, I made the final of the event at Manly, but I got second to Damien Hardman. He won the world title. I got third. And instead of winning the world title at home in front of my family and friends, I had to lose it. Yeah. And it was, it was devastating. It was, it was heartbreaking. And in my mind, I was thinking that that was my chance, my only chance. And I just wasn't good enough. And I might have to learn to live with that. And that, that night after the awards banquet, I was staring at myself deep in a mirror and ended up punching myself in the head, in the mirror. Uh-oh. <laughs> just looking at myself <laughs> so angry, just staring at myself so angry, just going, well, you, you just ain't good enough, mate. And ended up punching myself in the, and ended up in the ER, getting oh stitches, uh, getting stitches in my fist from, you know, punching myself in the head in a mirror. Yeah. So that was, that was a really devastating year. And then I, I went out the next year, 1988, and I wasn't thinking about the world title. I was just lamenting my loss, really. You know, that was what all I was thinking about was how, how crappy I was and how I may never get another chance. And that year went on and I never made a final. I I had nine semifinals, I think. So I was right there, consistent all the year, kept making semi after semi after semi. And if you're that consistent, when you get to the back at the end of the year, you're right there. And it only takes a couple of wins to thrust you into into, winning a world title. And we went to Australia in November and I won on the Gold Coast. Um, but that didn't even put that thought of a world title into my head. I wasn't even thinking about it, you know. I was I was just still still bummed really that that I wasn't good enough. And then the final, so we we lead into the Hawaiian series, and again it's the six, those same six suspects, Tom Carroll, Tom Curran, Damian Hardman, Martin Potter. We're all there going for the world title again. And um it's been dead flat. It's like one of the worst Hawaiian uh winters on record and it's been you know the first Hollywood small and uh and and ordinary but I got second in that event and and then we went into pipeline and it was flat in the lead up I had Davy Cantrell pipeline specialist in my first round super tough first round I'm thinking well this is you know this is difficult um as it turned out that first round was run at Beach Park because it was such a, you know, there was no swell on the and the thing, and uh, in the forecast, and they were sort of desperate to run stuff. So I got to surf against Davy Cantrell in four foot right handers. Yeah, which was a, which was a, it was a sign, sign from destiny. Going, hey, we'll, we'll, you know, this that, is that the gums, was, gum sandbar, basically. Exactly, it was. It was the yeah. sandbar at Beach Park, running into gums on on, on rights, mm-hmm. and, and yeah, really not Davy Cantrell's field of expertise but definitely mine 
Yeah. You know what I mean? So that was a that I should have seen that as a good sign, I suppose, early. And I won that heat against Davy. And then my next round was going to be up against Sonny Garcia. And um, and then January 2nd comes. So it, it goes through that whole waiting period, and it's January 2nd. 1989 wow. when the event runs by the time wow. we get some waves to run the event and um you know as you said it was 10 to 12 feet as perfect as pipeline gets i get down there in the morning early and go for the first surf in the morning and the first thing i do is i paddle out is drop straight in on tom carroll because <laughs> because because it was you know he was the he was the favorite Everyone was going, Tom Carroll's going to win. It's a pipeline. He's the pipe master. He's the best out there. He's going to win. And he's paddling into one. I go, in my mind, I go, not today, buddy. And I just (laughs) drop in on him and just burn Damien Hart. (laughs) I mean, Tom Carroll on one. And I paddle back out and I take off on one. And Dave McCauley drops in on me. And I get smashed and my, my board bangs me in the leg really hard and corks my thigh. And I can hardly walk. So I come to the beach limp to the beach, limp up the beach. I go home and I'm icing my thigh and it gave me something to think about. All of a sudden I'm, I'm more concerned about my injury and getting better to be able to surf than I am a world title. It's not really in my mind. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it would have been if I wasn't injured. And, um, and then when, by the time I get back down to the beach, I watched the first couple of waves of Noah Budrow and Tom Carroll. And I and, and I see the scoring and I thought, ah, you know, they're not but Noah's got no chance of beating Tom Carroll. They let aren't letting that happen. I go home. Um, when I get back, uh Todd Holland was his second heat. And and I get back and everybody tells me, hey, Tom lost. Tom Carroll's out. Yeah. I wasn't even there. I didn't even see it. Yeah. And I thought they were joking. I'm like, ah, don't be such stupid. Don't don't even try that. You know, what are you doing that for? You know yeah. what I mean? And then I realize he has lost and he is out. And I go, oh, okay. Don't think about it, mate. Just concentrate <laughs> on what you're doing. I had Keone Downing in my in my corner for that event. And those guys reached out to me in Australia and said, hey, do you want us to make you some boards for Hawaii? And I said, oh, I'd love that. And they made me a 610, a 76, and an 80. And as a quiver, they just fitted together so perfectly, even with those big spreads in size. Um and the seven six had these really sharp edges. And after that, my first surf that morning, I was I was said Did to George do- make those boards or did Keone make those boards? George Downing made those boards. Radical. Um there there's there's some talk on the street that there might have been some help from Kirk Bjerke. Mm-hmm. Who was Kirk was work, working with those guys for those guys at the time making some boards. So there was a bit of a collaboration there between George and Keone and, and Kirk. Mm-hmm. Um and it had this really sharp edge and it was a little sticky off the bottom. First couple, I only had two waves, first couple of waves. So I said that to Uncle George and he took me over into the uh, that grass paddock at Sunset Elementary across the road. And he's got wet and dry in his hand and he's spitting on, spits on my rail and, <laughs> and it spits on my rail. And Uncle George is there sanding that, that edge down and, and tuning that edge in. And I'm sitting there as a little young Aussie thinking, wow, look at that. I've got George Downing yeah. tuning my equipment. Yeah. This is unbelievable. And that family would have always been, you know, they're, they're, they are family to me. And to, to have Uncle George there, um, Tuning your equipment for you, this absolute legend of the sport, was yeah. just made you feel good, made you feel 
strong, you know. Confident. And then he said to me, hey, you just surf today. Don't you worry about another thing. I'll take care of everything else. You just surf. And, and to know I had those guys in my corner made you feel local. Made you feel like you were you had a connection with the place, with the wave, with everything. The spit on the rail sanding was like, wow, this is a unique experience, you know, and it felt powerful in that sense. And I went out against Sonny Garcia and uh, I won that heat. In the end, Sonny got an interference as well, um, but I won that heat. And then the next uh, one was quarterfinal against Tom Curran, uh, the reigning uh, uh, Tom Curran, who I, you know, been a rival with for a long time, and I went out and got. At this point, Curran. did you need to win out to win the world title, or have well, to, had you sewn it up? Did, I, as no, I as you're it, going along, you don't know how it's going to plan out because everyone else has has their heats coming up. So right. Tom Carroll gone early in the day. The door opens. Then, um, then I took Tom Curran out myself. And the, that was good. Damien Hardman got taken out by Mark Ocalupo. And Oki was in the scaffolding, like getting ready. And I was there with, with next to him with him. And he goes, I'll get him, BL. I'll get him for you. I go, oh, come on, Oki. I hope you do, mate. And Oc goes out and takes out Tom Curran. And so, I mean, Damien Hardman. At that point in time, all, all the other potential world champs are out. Yeah. And I've got to get through the semi-final. So I beat Curran in the quarters. I've got to get through the semi-final against Tom uh, Glenn Winton mm. to win the world title. And Winton was amazing at Pipeline. Yeah, absolutely. One of the most underrated surfers of the time. So creative, so courageous. And at Pipe, he was fantastic. I that think was- maybe the last guy to shape his own boards that had a that was in the running for a world title, perhaps. Yeah, and and the way, you know, he'd, he'd glue fins on the rails. He, I remember him <laughs> seeing, a, seeing a board that had... It mostly had 12 fins each rail, each side of the board, little fins like an inch and a half tall all the way down the rail. And he'd ride it and then take one off each side, <laughs> leave one on one side and have 11 and 10 and try that. And he was so creative and so um, unique, mate. He was a very, you know, when you talk about unique individuals, he Glenn Wint was a unique individual and he was the, the wild card that could easily have stopped your dream. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I had to go out and win that semi-final. Um, he got a good start in it and I was quite scared, you know, I was like, Oh no. <laughs> and as things turned out, I got some, got some good ones. I won the semi-final. I won the world title, um, came in, had to prepare straight away for the final with Luke Egan. It was a long day from dawn till dusk. I uh, went out in the final against Luke Egan. I honestly felt like I lost the final. Mm. You know what I mean? When you have those yeah. feelings as a competitor in a heat and you think, oh, I don't think. Because back then there was no computer scoring. You didn't yeah. know how you were going. You didn't know what you needed. You didn't know what they had. And so it was all this this mental mental uh, calculation in your mind. What was, what was Keone doing when you came in? Were they kind of going, mm, I don't know, it's close? No, nah, they all thought I won. Yeah. Yeah, they all thought I won. And, and I kind of – I wasn't too sure because um, – you know, you always underestimate yourself and you're always more critical of yourself. So I was I was in two minds. They were all 100%. And uh, and when I came in from the final against Luke Egan, I thought I was kind of bummed because I thought, you know, it was hard to it was hard to celebrate, jump around, be stoked. You've won a world title and then get the focus back together and go out and surf the final. But when we came in from the final, the sun had was setting behind Keina Point. Keina Keina Point. It had actually dropped already behind the 
the, the that mountain wow. range. And so it was it was a massive day, mate. And they just they had to squeeze the whole event nearly besides that first round into the one day. Mm-hmm. And that's why I had four heats that day um in perfect pipe. So Sonny Garcia, Tom Curran, Glenn Winton, and Luke Egan. So no wow. easy pipeline run, you know, no. which feels good. And then uh, I came to the beach and the first person that was there on the beach, because this was pre-chairing people up. Yeah. No one got chaired up the beach back then, right? You walked yourself up the beach, you know, yep. um, was Duncan Campbell from Cafe Haliva. Oh, great. He was there on the beach and I'm looking at his face and the way his face looked, because I thought I'd lost that final. Um, but maybe I was just super critical of myself. Um, and and his face just told me I hadn't won. I looked at his face and oh, maybe I did win. And, <laughs> um, you know, and Keone didn't come down the beach. He stayed up in the pipeline house. So it was a very different time. There was not that massive, all the people on the beach and the celebrations and the cheering up, cheering up the beach. This was the end of the day. The sun's behind the mountain range. It's been a massive day. And the beach is kind of clearing out. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? People have yeah. been and so it's a very different scenario to what to the ones that you get to see nowadays, you know, with all the celebration and the cheering up and all of that stuff. Um, and so uh, none of that mattered to me, though. The presentation was literally in the dark, more or less, you know, people holding lights and stuff to try yeah. and illuminate the, the presentation. Yeah. And um, and the, the the little fella from Manly's dream had come true, mate, you know. That's and, so uh, cool. And that previous year before that was a heartbreak and a really traumatic experience for me. Um, it made me realize that, hey, you don't know why things are happening. You don't know why you're going through and experiencing what you're going through. And this is applicable to anyone and every everyone in all situations. And some of the worst situations of your life when you're going through them are a good thing. And they're happening to prepare you for something in the future that you don't foresee. Yeah. And it was really... It was a great awakening, an amazing, an amazing uh, experience for me to understand life, really. You know, like, wow, you yeah. thought that was a bad thing and a terrible thing. And while it was, it was a very important thing because it put me in a place that allowed me to go through that final day at Pipeline. And I would swap Pipeline for Manly Beach every <laughs> every day of the year, mate, forever. Yeah. So, you know, if they said to me, well, you can have Manly or you can lose it here in front of your family and friends and next year you'll get pipeline. I most probably would have taken Manly because I wouldn't have believed them. Yeah. You know what I mean? The right. old bird in the hand and two in the bush sort of concept. Yeah. Uh, but as it turned out, you know, to have won at pipeline is that's, you know, winning was the childhood dream to win at pipelines, a whole nother layer to that dream that I would never have imagined. That's so cool. Happened, mate. So it was a, it was a beautiful thing. The, you know, the reality is, is that, you know, we celebrated a little bit that night. Not a lot. I didn't, that next morning, I was at an ASP board meeting at 9am as the surfers rep, um, mm. doing my job as the surfers rep the next morning at 9am. So it wasn't, uh, it yeah. wasn't like a, you know, massive celebration of parties and it was very quiet. Um, and it was just, a it was a different time, a different world, a different thing. You know, there weren't, there weren't all these sponsors putting on parties and events and all that stuff. It was just a, it was a very low key affair, but I liked it that way, you know. Well, look, let's let's uh, let's fast forward some forty something years here, and <laughs> I'd like I know isn't that amazing? I'd like to get your thoughts on the recent Vans Pipe Masters we had last year, specifically yeah. the women. Tell me what your thoughts are on the women, which I thought was um, basically uh, history in the making. Yeah, and and it's 
women's surfing is at that point where nearly every event is history in the making in some way. Um, it has been elevated uh, through the respect that they have earned. Um, sure, there are, are times globally that are allowing and, and encouraging, enforcing almost that type of respect for women's sport. We may have gone past that and into a time where there's almost a movement to decimate women's sport, really, by the inclusion of males in that field. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so we've kind of gone to another place. But the place that we were at where women's surfing was was. I mean, specifically pipe through like... the performance of the through the performance of the surfers. That's where the respect has come from. It's not a political agenda for us as as surfers. It's not. It's it's watching. It's watching when you watch an underdog fight for their existence, yeah. um, and when you watch someone who's, I suppose, in a sense, you might almost say downtrodden or or you know. Put on, you know, at a lower rung on the ladder than than the male sport. You watch the fight that builds in those people, and and the determination, and it's very similar to what what I've experienced when we when I joined the pro tour in 1983. Pro surfing was what do you call that? 1976. It's six years old. Yep, it's been going for six years as a sport, and it isn't respected. And the world look at us as beach bum, no hoping, drug addict losers. Yep. And our generation's job was to build respect for the sport. The generation before us, Mark Richards, Sean Thompson, Rob Bartholomew, Dan Kieloa, Michael Ho, that generation, it created the sport. And our job was to validate it yeah. and to make sure that people respected it and saw us as, as professional sportsmen rather than beach bums. Yeah. And, and that, we we fought for that position. We fought for the the right to be respected and to make people care and 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 look at what we do as something legitimate. Yeah. And 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 that's that same path is what we've watched women surfing travel. And they well, they fought. I'm, yeah. I'm interested specifically in what women are doing at Pipeline Re okay. regarding um, you know, look. I mean, we've had Lane. We've had we've had great women's champions for decades now. But in my opinion, what's happened at Pipeline is is historic in that Moana Jones-Wong has this vibe of Jerry Lopez where it seems I like do. I could see her winning four, five, six Pipeline Masters titles with only, you know, there are some women, Aaron Brooks, a young gal, and uh, Sierra Kerr and some others that are nipping yeah. at her toes, kind of like Rory and maybe Jackie Dunn or Mike Armstrong or whoever, but she seems like Jerry Lopez and she seems like it's hers to lose. Like she's, she's got it. And for the first time ever, she's pulling into tubes and doing, they're doing soul arches. I mean, they look like they've figured it out. And of course she has. So, yeah, uh, I mean, I think the pipeline's a special beast for the women. Yeah. And, and well, she's got that, just that classic style. She looks like Jerry Lopez. I was there watching it live and I felt like I was watching Jerry Lopez. The stance, oh, yeah. the style, the positioning, everything about what Moana did was amazing. Um, without rights at the back door, yeah. yeah, there is only one person in the world at this point in time who can beat her, and she wasn't in the event. So the Vans Pipeline Masters. Are you speaking of Caitlin Summers? No, I'm talking of Vahini Fierro. Oh, of course, Bahini. Yes. Bahini, Bahini Fierro can beat. Yeah, 
Moana Jones won. Yeah. Yeah. Right? They are the two best. Yeah. Without question, they're on another level to the girls. There's Absolutely. not a natural footer on the backhand who can beat them. Yeah. And especially when it's 10 feet. Exactly. You know, if it's six feet and under, then the field opens up, the rights are there. Carissa, the natural footers come into play and you start to consider them as, as potential Which, by the way, well, if I might interrupt, which is why I think this was a historic day because they put the women out in a rising long period swell where usually they're like, oh, the swell's dying, the wind's up, put the girls out. That's right. Yeah, that was that was a great... And that was... In, in theory, though, that day was supposed to build and get bigger and stronger and more forceful as the day went on. So they put the women when they did with that in mind, right? <laughs> right. But it didn't really work out that way. Right. And when they surfed, um, that was a, you know, there's, there is a, I believe that there's a natural energetic destiny to things, you know, which is, it's a collective energy that comes together in moments of times that creates history. And um, that, that, that day was one of those where they, they tried to kind of have it before it got bigger and rogue and too crazy later in the day. But as it ironically turned out, it was most probably the best of the day. And we've seen the best of women surfing over these last few years because they have had great opportunities in great conditions. And all of a sudden the performance level rises and people are like, whoa, I didn't know they could. But they don't know they could because they haven't had the opportunity to. So it's a wonderful time in that sense. Um, Moana is on another level at Pipeline. There's no question about that. She's definitely on another level even to Vahini through experience and exposure. I think that what we see to go to sort of become a little more political about what the situation is, there used to be a Pipeline Masters. Yep. One. Yep. And the Pipeline Masters was the event. Yep. And then in my day... Um, when I won Pipeline, it wasn't the Pipeline Masters. So I'm not a Pipeline Master because I won the Billabong Pro at Pipeline. Right. right? Um, and so when pe now there's this confusion is about what is what. Um, exactly. You have, you have the Vans Pipeline Masters. You have the Billabong or the, the WSL Pipeline Pro for, you know, yep. and then you have the backdoor shootout at Pipeline. Yeah. And yep. the backdoor shootout at Pipeline traditionally the last bunch of years i've judged it for the last couple of years mm -hmm. um shootout and the best surfing at pipeline most probably happens in that event yeah because they send out these teams of people right who are the japanese team yeah. and when the japanese team is in that water or the peruvian team and it's just them and their mates and they can get all the good ones you see no difference in performance levels from the Japanese or the Peruvian teams to the locals. Yeah. And all of a sudden it's this. So that, that event itself has a unique format and it's more a, the shootout is more a, a cultural event. You yeah. know what I mean? And it's yeah. got its place in Hawaiian heritage in yeah. the, in the roster. It makes sense where it sits and how it plays out because it is, it's a cultural celebration of Hawaiian surfing from the roots of the, of the locals. And when you look at, the staffing on the event and the security, all the people around are just the old boys, mate, the real, the real OGs of, of, of surfing in Hawaii and, and that heritage. So I see where that event fits. Well, let me ask you this, yeah. if I may. Yes. These days, as you mentioned, the North Shore season right now, early on, it consists there's an, always been an early season sunset event. There's a Holly Eve event. There's the Vans Pipe Masters. There's the Backdoor Shootout, which starts in a couple of weeks. Couldn't somebody cobble together 
a triple crown like in my mind the triple crown's missing and it seems like there's enough events pre-january to cobble together because i think it's important that we have a king and queen of the north shore that we have a sunset winner or, or you know the three best performances and now we have this thing the triple crown what are your <clears throat> thoughts on the triple crown do we need it is it gone is it is it too late yeah it's 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 been the the traditional setup of events here in Hawaii has been kind of restructured. My mind was going to say decimated, but I will say restructured um, for the sake of commercial purposes. Right? The WSL thought they were missing out. They thought that being in December, you know, I, I see. They thought that was not necessarily the best time of year, and if they ran in February or whatever, they would get better conditions. Right. Um, to have a P Vans Pipeline Masters, the Pipeline Masters, that original event as an back to what it started as, as an invitation only event um, and where you see people in it because of the stickers on their board, not because of their reputation at Pipeline. Right. There's yeah. people in that event who if it was a real Pipeline Masters um, and it was based on on the abilities on a day-to-day -day basis of Pipeline, there's people in that event with stickers on their board who would not get a start. So that event in my mind has almost been downgraded in a sense because of its commercial nature. It's a promotional event rather than the greatest surfing event in history. Well, and they Kelly, still try, Kelly Slater try to hold was, Kelly Slater was not in the event. Well, and, and Vahini Fierro, right. the other best tube rider in the world, was not in the event. She was there sitting on the sideline, yeah. not having a start in that event. So it's a commercial event. And I don't see that the I don't see that in the sense of it being a commercial event. Um again, like the shootout, they've copied the shootout in that sense too, where they go out against people they choose in their heats. Yeah. John, John, Ivan, and Nathan with Emio as yeah. an example of those heats. So it's a very different thing to what the Pipeline Masters was. Some could say that the Pipeline Masters as a world tour event didn't have the best pipeline surfers in it anyway. And it most probably didn't. There's right. a handful of the best pros who yeah. are the best pipeline surfers or potentially in that conversation about the best pipeline surfers. But the world tour itself doesn't guarantee that the best surfers are in that event either because it's a different style of event and they've qualified for the Pipe Masters through other types of competitions and qualifying series. Let me so, ask you this. Again, it's not it, it's kind of confusing right now as to what's the legitimate it is. event and it what's is. The, what what's the you know the the promotional events and stuff. So they I feel like they in the commercial um trying to find the best commercial property for themselves and place for themselves and time for themselves and the mess, messing around with the whole thing it kind of it diluted it in in terms of it's important because there's three events there that you go well they're all equal there's not you know the vans pipeline masters the hui backdoor shootout and the pipeline pro are all kind of equals there's not really one of them that stands out above the others right. um for me really the best surfing most probably all year is the shootout let me ask you this do you know if Kelly Slater was invited to the and Gabe Medina? Do you know if those two guys were invited and decided not to do it? Do you have any insight there? I don't have insight on that, but I would guarantee you'd invite Kelly Slater. They want uh, Kelly in the event. 100% they want him in the event. Yeah. Uh, 
and that those you know the Brazilian side of things bringing credibility and opening up that massive audience that is Brazil, the greatest audience. In I don't surf. even care about that. I just think Gabe yeah. Medina deserves to be there competitively. Well, I, right. I don't. I don't yeah. think there's any question. He's one of the best, if not the best, surfer in the world. And and at Pipeline, he's proven himself. It's not yeah. like he needs to prove himself to get the call. Yeah, a hundred percent. Um, I felt like that about watching lowers. Like for me to watch a final five, at or, or whatever, and have, not have. Gabriel or Italo or one of the two in there just didn't make sense. All of a sudden I was like, well, you know what I mean? It's a yep. one horse race more or less this show because yeah. it's so perfectly suited to a certain person. Um, and then, you know, so you've got to look at those, the commercial decisions made by WSL in repositioning and restructuring the tour into this Americanized sport where it's got a season. It doesn't necessarily follow a calendar year. Um, you finish at lowers, there's a, a mid-year cut, there's a top five, there's only five people qualified for that last event. To me, even at that last event, qualification for the final WSL final event should be based on whether mathematically you can win the event. Yes. So not not whether you're in the top five, that's a totally relevant agree. If you totally mathematically agree. win the event and you're number nine, they should have a top nine. Exactly. Right? And if there's yeah. only two people who can mathematically win it, it's a top two. Yep. You know, if you're going totally to do agree. it that way, did have people qualify who mathematically may not be able to even win a world title, but on one day can have a good day? Yeah, that especially sucks. at lowers. I, I just don't even like it. So yeah. a lot of the changes that have come about really have diluted the product in my mind. And I see that in the audience. I see that in the feedback I get. They talk about their numbers being better than ever before, but I have trouble believing have much you thought about throwing these days. your hat? Your, your okay. hat in the ring. Have you thought about throwing your hat in the ring as the new CEO of the WSL? No, I wouldn't do that. No. Um, I wouldn't do that because the WSL is driven by ownership that has a political agenda. And they are, while we live in a time of, of, of our society more or less being wedge driven down the middle and people being separated to two sides and this divide, you know, and, and in, in most countries it goes along political lines, Democrat, Republicans, say in America, mm -hmm. um, as, as we live in a time like that, it would seem to me that we have management or ownership of the WSL that is clearly and distinctly on one side of that political divide. Yeah. Um, for me, I would not work for that side of the political divide. Right. Um, and I see myself way more in the middle of things and, and yeah. trying to see surfing not as a political tool for a small few, but as a, as a lifestyle and a culture that has so much positivity to give to the broader community. What if they reached out to you and said, hey, I heard what you had to say. We actually need that. Would you be interested? Oh, if, if, if there was the opportunity to, to work unhindered by political agenda um i would i, I would definitely do that yeah. i feel like i could fix it mate i feel like yeah. i could i feel like i have ideas in and around the sport through my exposure and experience at it as a competitor well firstly yeah. as an aspiring competitor someone as a grommet who's there with that dream and looking at that that product then as someone who lived the product for 15 years and was on the asp board as a surfer's rep for 10 years I know the politics of of that period of time and what went on in ways that nobody else does. There yeah. were things that took place during that time period of my 10 years on the board that no one knows the real stories, and I'm the only one that really does. Yes. Um, and when I came out of the Pro Tour, 
there was a period where I was to to quote to use Bob Hurley's word black band um because what I had to say or do or contribute was of no value to the ownership which was at that point Ripcord Quicksilver Billabong and yeah. it was a close horse for those brands so then then I've been a coach in that space and and coaching athletes who compete on the thing then I've been commentating it so I feel like I've and and my involvement with the media since I was 18 years old I feel like I've got a well-rounded perspective and ability to look at the product from all the different angles. And I feel like I know when you think of what WSL did when they came in, they changed a lot of stuff Yeah, and they fixed, they, they fixed stuff. They changed a lot of stuff, broke stuff. Um, but what they'd never tinkered with was the judging. Yeah. The most important thing is the judging. The rest yeah. of it's just window dressing. Yeah. Right. The right. most important thing is the judging. And I have ideas in and around the way that thing could be judged that in my mind would revolutionize the product. Like what? Um, and well, so if you can't do it, you should not be judging it. Okay. Okay. And I'm not good enough to be a judge. Right. I say that right. hands down. When they're in the air and there's those subtle little tweaks and things going on, if it's a simple, basic on the wave face style of surfing, I could judge it. Yeah. Pipeline, I can judge it. Yeah. Those things like, but when they go off the wave base and into the air, I'm out of my league, mate. You, but but can you find a, a series of you know a series of people that that qualify? Yeah, like, there, you, like well, who, it should Nathan, be Nathan Fletcher. It seems like it's a very small. No, well, I think it, of, yeah, it's a job. It should be in my mind the highest paid job. It should, and I've said to I've said to everyone at WSL from. Dirk Ziff, the owner, to Dave Proden, to Pat O'Connell, to Kieran Perot, to on and on, Graham mm -hmm. Staplebergs. Um, you know, everyone there, I've said, hey, this is my idea for the for the judging. If you have an event that's not important, okay, give, let me experiment for you and let's trial another way of judging this thing. It should be a job for the most current elders to pass on the traditions of what are good surfing. Mm -hmm. Currently, what we see in judging is a tendency between two, the old less is more concept, which they always say it's not about length of ride. It's about the volume of the maneuvers. Mm -hmm. And so what they would rather see now is two than six, mm -hmm. right? Where they're driving it, if we go to gymnastics for a second, where they're driving it is towards the vault. Mm -hmm. If you go to gymnastics and you've got a floor routine, which is a minute-long dance where you synchronize all of this wonderful stuff into this performance and finish at the end and go, da-da. The vault, you just run at that thing and do one thing and go, da-da. And that da-da um, of the one thing is where they're taking surfing and they're eliminating the dance. They're eliminating the opportunity to create this beautiful performance that is 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 similar to a you know a floor routine in gymnastics, and they're preferring the vault. I brought this up to the ISA because now now with my work with those guys, um, I feel like I'm in the right place because they are the future of surfing. WSL, like ASP, like IPS, is a momentary boss of the sport. They won't be there forever. You know yep. what I mean? They're yep. just a momentary boss of the commercial enterprise that is the sport. Now that the Olympic Games is the ultimate in the sport, you know, it's only taken one gold medal and we're pretty much at that point where we're like, well, that gold medal is maybe more important than the world title, yep. right? Um, the ISA 
as an organization are the ones recognized by the Olympic Federation and who have the national federations all around the world. Mm-hmm. And in my mind, had the opportunity to recall, retrack the, the course of, of, of retract the course of surfing to something that the surfers think it is. And yeah. and it needs to be a discussion. Do you want to be the and when I brought it up with the judges in, in uh, Rio just recently, the ISA Worlds, I said, Hey, I'd love to have a chat to you guys about what they did an amazing job um over there. 15 minute heats, bang, 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 bang. And it was so fast and furious and so exciting to commentate. And I was like, Well, this is this is like a sport. Then yeah. you go and watch a heat that's 35 minutes long with two guys in priority, and you're just yawning. And yeah. you go, This is the b- most boring thing. Because the the competition, the rival that that the thing that is uh, the the base of sport, we kind of lose that a little bit in the the new surfing structure. So, back to the judging, it should be the the best, and I've said that the best people their money can buy. And my panel, if I had my choice, I'd have Shane Dorian, I'd have CJ Hobgood, and I would have people that bring credibility to every decision they make. Yeah. Because if Mark Richards tells me what I get, I'm not arguing. Yeah. Like Richard exactly. told me, I'm yeah, wearing yeah. it, mate. What did he? So, so what you do then is right. If you've got five judges now and you knock off a high and a low, I don't know why you've got the high and the low anyway. If you're knocking yeah. them off, right? Yeah. The other thing is, is that that system we use now, it needs five people to agree to work, to look right. Yeah. And so, the premise of the modern judging system is that five people agree. What's yeah. your chances? You're yeah. set up to fail by the premise of your existing judging system. It's always going to be controversial because you're you're relying on five scores to come in the same. And if I'm a judge and I'm I'm sitting there, I know myself and I I know humans and I think we'd sit there and go, okay, well where where are we going with this score? Yeah. What are the team going to score? It? What are the other judges going to score? It? I don't want to be high and low, knocked off every time. And so there's this conformity, this homogenized process of thinking that that traps them from being themselves and having an opinion and if you had those three judges you don't knock off a high and a low you just have three of credibility the highest your money can buy and their might and when the scores come in i'm in the commentary and i go hey look because the old system used to be five judges to nil four judges to one three judges to two you and i could have different best waves of the heat you could score one ride of a surfer an eight, and I could score it a four. We could still have the same winner. Yeah. Right? Because there's no comparison of scores. You've got your own scale. You don't right. have to focus on keeping scale. So you, you get three of the best people your money can buy. You mic them up so that when the scores are on, they become your broadcast. And I go ah, up there. That's and I go, very hey, Shane, Shane, CJ scored that an eight. You gave it a four. Why? Well, you know, when he came off the bottom and he caught that rail – that was, for me, the rest of the wave was hindered by that. He lost his rhythm. He's lost his flow, da-da-da. Okay, why did you give it the eight? Well, what I loved about it was da-da-da-da-da. And the judges educate the audience. They become your broadcast. They're a part of your broadcast. And yeah. they share their knowledge and their understanding. You explain judging to the public through their eyes and through the commentators. Yeah. And you educate. Because as it is now, the judges are hidden. No one even knows who they are. It's like there's these people like avoiding. You mentioned uh, Shane and you mentioned CJ. Do you think they're contemporary enough to be able to dissect what's happening in the air? 
Well, they're more they're, they're more contemporary than me. Well, yeah, <laughs> me too. Um, and 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 you would most probably. But what it takes it takes a certain type of mind that has an ability to override its emotion. Yeah. And a competitor does that. A competitor knows that. A competitor has that, especially a retired one who can reflect a little bit yeah. and reflect on themselves and understand themselves and their emotional responses and go, oh, okay. And that's what you need. You need that 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 ability of a past competitor who understands the influences and understands it. And and maybe they're not current enough, and maybe there's more relevant current people, and, and that's a fair call. Um and then you go to the old five, you know, there'd be three three judges to nil or two judges to one. And, and and that way they can have their own opinions and have their own scale. You use them to educate the audience and you've got a very different product. It's a very interesting time. concept for sure. And you're right. You're going to have to pay them a lot. And and uh, these people are going to be under a lot of scrutiny because now they're not, they're lacking anonymity. And it's a, I've, well, like I said, I've judged the backdoor shootout. And yeah. in that event runs like the pipeline masters. So, what we have to do over four days of competition is keep the fourth last ride on the fourth day in scale with the first <laughs> wave on the first day. Yeah. And you were pipeline and you have watched hundreds, yeah, hundreds and hundreds of waves. And you've got to reflect and keep all this stuff into some kind of mathematical equation that justifies the glory of moments and time, you know? So yeah. it's a really, I understand the complexities of judging from that. Um, and been around the whole time, and it's it's a, it's a special type of person. But the concept is a surfer wouldn't do that. That's what they always say to you. Surfer wouldn't do that. But that's because of the construct of what judging is. You change what judging is, and you turn it into a job for the elders and for the most respected, the very most respected judge mate. That's Have you thought about doing. a list of guys that might make sense to you? Um, Besides I just, Shane you know, and CJ? like, like I, I love, I love, I love those competitive mindsets and the people who have been through that competition. And then I look at, um, I like Shane Dorian in, in that sense because I know what he is capable of in crazy ways. You know, well, like, I like Shane because his kid kind of is brings a contemporary level judge. to it. <laughs> yeah. What about Gerlach? I feel like. Um, Potentially, but I, you know, even if you go to the best aerialists of our time and you go, say, Martin Potter, mm. I don't know that we are, yeah, validated in the modern era of of, of tweak and twist yeah. and flare and Yago in the pool and the stuff you see. Yeah. I kind of just, my mind, my eyes roll in my head, and yeah. I go, what was that? And I have to go back and watch it slow, and I'd take two days to come to a decision. Well, I, I just question if your judging can even happen. Like, like if you can get, because you're talking about a respected, well-groomed elder, but mm -hmm. he also needs to know aerials, and yeah. those two things yeah. might not co co coexist. Yeah, I, well, I think as people come off the tour, um, there's there's always people I bet you know with with time and it's not something I've spent too much. I I understand the concept that I have in my mind, but it's not something I've spent too much time identifying talent to fill those roles yeah. because it's it's never been embraced. Right, the idea has never been embraced. It's but you feel like done. it could work. You feel like you could pull together a crew of judges. I think a hundred percent. What I would do is I'd appeal to their love of their sport, and it's almost like an obligation. It's the ultimate respect to be asked to judge. When yeah. Fast Eddie comes to me and goes, "Will you judge shootout again?" He's not asking me because I'm an idiot. Yeah. He's not asking me because he doesn't respect my ability to sit there for those four days. You yeah. know what I mean? And and yeah. so when I get asked to 
commentate, to judge, I look at that as a, a, a sign of respect in a yeah. lot of ways, you know, for your ability to to dissect stuff. So there are 100% there are post-career pro surfers capable of this job. And if we change the packaging yeah. of what it is to be a judge and who gets to judge and you reposition it as something of the ultimate credibility, yeah. your decisions your decisions are taken differently. The whole thing's going to change. It's, it's yeah. the way the whole sport works, you know? Hiring for a small business is critical. It's imperative that you find a highly qualified professional to treat and grow your business with the same care and detail that you do. LinkedIn Jobs will be your next big unlock. LinkedIn Jobs has created the tools to find the right professionals for your team fast and for free. Everybody is already on LinkedIn with their resume and their references. So the fact that LinkedIn built a hiring platform to connect the dots between everything is simple genius. It's way more sophisticated than a job board. It's a vast network of more than a billion professionals meticulously organized to connect people by skill set, desire, ambition, all in an effort to help us advance our position. And it's easy to use and intuitive. So effective that 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Fast hiring solutions means achieving your goals in record time with rapid growth in 2024. LinkedIn Jobs will even help you write the job descriptions and give you tools and prompts to help you interview your candidate like a pro. LinkedIn.com slash surf is where you go to post your job for free. Yes, totally free. And you can let the world's largest social network of business professionals work to connect you with the ideal candidate to help you grow your business. That is LinkedIn.com slash surf to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you will hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as uh, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Let me ask you this. Um, you spoke about the ISA. You spoke about the Olympics. Let's just talk about yes. the Olympics are coming to Chopu. Everyone's excited, but right now they're more agitated than anything. 
Uh, the IOC wants some a new judging tower. The ISA has made their statements about it. Uh, what are your thoughts on this Olympic dust up? It's a, I, I mean, I commentated Tokyo. So I went and commentated and for the OBS, the Olympic Broadcasting Service. So in America, you guys had, I'm not even, you had someone else come and do it um, mm -hmm. out of NBC or wherever in yeah, America. Yeah, yeah. But most everywhere else heard me. Um, and it was a massive honor. And it was a COVID Games with no spectators, with testing every few days, stuck in your little room uh, you know, in, in Tokyo and, and everyone wearing masks and all of that stuff. And I still felt it. You still felt that people, the world coming together for sport. And when we grew up there, you know, when we grew up, there wasn't professional sport. There's been Olympic Games for a long time. You know, you imagine where it started with people throwing sticks, javelin, throwing rocks shot put well, and yeah. it started from very very primitive it was, basics. It was war games basically yeah, like war games. Not and people war. running as fast as they could for 100 meters that's what it right? was yeah but, but so tell me original... about the dust up the olympic dust up the judging tower let me yeah, get so, you to focus well, on the, that that's where i'm going to get to the thing the thing that i understand from talking to vahini fiero who's involved and obviously involved in that sense is that they are not the government is not going to allow future WSL events to run with that scaffolding. It doesn't meet standards. It doesn't meet the uh, those those levels of safety and security, et cetera, et cetera. And I don't. I'm not saying what I know. This ain't what I think. I I, right, right. I really, you know, I've I've stayed out of having an opinion on it because obviously we care about the reef. Obviously we care about nature. But I don't know, mate. I don't know the background. So I'm not really the person to talk about this. But what I do know from talking to Vahini, who is hands-on involved, she's in that Olympic Games. She's been talking to the government. She's been talking to the French Olympic Federation. She's heavily involved. They are not going to allow in the future. There won't be a WSL event at Chopu if they don't figure this out moving forward. What about judging that's by her, Jerome? That's what or... she told me, right? So if they don't figure this out and come up with a system and a way of judging now at this Olympic Games that can then carry on for WSL, WSL won't be there this year either. That sounds a little bit like, um, I'm going to say leverage, but the dirty word is blackmail. Um, yeah. What about just, like, there's got to be other ways to judge people riding waves at Chopu besides the scaffolding in the reef. What about drones? What about yeah, I don't you know, know but, but yeah, you know how and... much time I've I've spent yeah. so much time watching screens. So when I when, you know commentating, when I commentate an event, I don't see anything live. I don't see anything live. All I see is the screen. But and you're doing your best to interpret from the screen. But I know from broadcasting experience that things don't happen in the order that they present them to us on the screen. You know, they might go to a break and they come back and show you a wave that was before the break, that they didn't have time to fit in before the break. And all of a sudden you think it's a part that happened at this point and has this influence and impact on the result. But it wasn't. It was another time. So there's a very big difference. And I think that about drones, you need to see it with your human eye. That's what you got to do. The rest of it's rest of it's whatever. The most yeah. important thing is seeing it with your, your your naked eye and watching it live, watching it in context of everything else that's energetically going on, because you see moments of greatness there that on a screen desensitized, 
through the screen, not emotionally connected to anything that's going on there because you're not even near it. You're in another country. Um, like, for example, Chopu, I believe um, the commentary for Chopu will be done in Paris. Yeah. Right. So you'll be sitting in Paris commentating Chopu. You don't you, you can be wrong is the bottom line. If you're not watching it firsthand with the, the naked eye, you can make mistakes. In commentary, you can get away with that. In judge judging, I think you need to be there. You need to see it. And I, I you know, the scaffolding so you, of water. The scaffolding sounds like the only solution in your eyes regarding judging, taking away all the environmental problems or non-problems, whatever the case may be. You're saying that the boat view, the boat angle isn't worthy. We need to hit look at it straight on from something. And when the judges judge on replays, they always watch a consistent replay angle. They don't go to this angle and that angle and this angle and this, that angle because it's all of a sudden it becomes so confusing and depending on the angle and the shot that the camera got. And of your one, they might have got a shitty shot and a boat comes up in the middle of it and you don't even see this moment, right? So that's why the 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 relying on what you see first and foremost before any replays, before any of that stuff is really the, the critical thing. Um I, I all I hope is that when you think about that is a pristine natural wonderland down the end of that road. And the wall of skulls was such to keep people out. You know what I mean? It was a yeah. it's it's got energetically, it's a powerful, powerful place. And there there's there's powerful, powerful opinions on all the sides of this thing. And and I I, I saw Matahi Drolet just a couple of days ago on the beach with John. And he was, they were going for a downwind foil together. And, and I asked him how, you know, and he was disappointed, but I think that um, they're, they're hopeful that they can figure something out that works because my understanding is, is that it's not only for this. Now the world's focused on this and, yeah. and the scaffolding. Yeah. What the solution is needs to be a long-term solution that allows events to run at that venue because if they don't figure it out for this one and they can't put something there, that's going to allow it to be judged. Um, it may not have events in the future is what I understand. I don't, and I don't know if it's like you said, that's blackmail or that's an opportunity or posturing to create a, a better yeah. situation for yourself. If on the Olympic games, I don't want to, upset the locals i don't want to create bad vibes i don't you know this is the whole thing with you know the, the isa is their motto is building a better world through surfing and that's where i went well this is something i can work with that's what i've always believed i've always believed we can create a better world through surfing through our through what surfing does for you the evolution of your consciousness the connection to nature all them things that surfing gives you will help you grow and evolve as a human and can help the world at a point of divisive fighting going on around the place so um do you yeah, think there will be i'm just hopeful they figure i'm just hopeful i don't know i don't know enough yeah. to have an opinion i don't yeah. have an opinion i only go on what you know the people i've spoken to tell me yeah. um and and hopefully they figure it out and it's in a good place i know that there was consideration of hey let's just take it to hosigal let's go to france and go to the beach breaks yeah to hard basket and yeah. that to me is not the worst scenario in the world either you yeah. know what i mean so so that 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 is an ultimate backup um but i'm not politically involved enough to know but i just know that from talking right. to Eni, she was she was saying that you know this the solution is not just now the solution right. is longer term right. and, and for the future of surfing events at that venue and if, yeah. if out of this 
situation. There's a great solution that's better, for, is good for the environment, good for the locals, and creates an opportunity to run events there in the future. Maybe this point in time, like me having to lose at Manly but to win at Pipeline, you've got to have these moments. So <laughs> while people can attach to this moment and the negativity and the arguments and all of that at this moment, I think the important thing for me is that this is a good thing. It's not a bad thing. It's a good thing for the environment. It's a good thing for the place, for the locals, for everyone, because we figure this out and we move forward with it figured out. We don't figure it out here. There may be no moving forward. So that's that's the reality of the situation as I understand it. Yeah, I guess my sense is that on both sides of the equation, you have what seems to be sort of, um, and I'm like you, I don't know much. I don't know anything about it except for what mm -hmm. I read. But it yeah. seems like there's like some stubbornness on both sides. In other words, the local community is like, I feel like they're not budging and I don't think the IOC is going to budge either. Mm. And if that's the case, if there's no budging. Yeah. Then, and that's what ISA, yeah. ISA, because I reached out to Fernando Aguirre straight yeah. away when I saw it and went, Hey, what's the story, mate? What's going on? Where are you at? Yeah. What's the, you know, we don't want to be wrecking the reef. What's going on. Yeah. And he said to me that this is again, the, the ISA is not involved in this. No, I know, I know they're, that, they're, yeah. at the, they're at the bottom of that food chain, I suppose. Oh, yeah. And they give advice and direction, but they're well, not... they're charged with running the competition. They're not have nothing to do with the infrastructure. That's yeah. IOC stuff. Yeah. yeah. So it's it's again, it's a it's another one of those. But I, I think you go through these those difficult times, the complicated things, and better stuffs on the other side. And that's what I hope for. You know, imagine we, we they come up with a solution that's a that's environmentally friendly, that looks after and respects, and we can see an annual event at Chopu, and you know. Yeah, because it's, it's it's changed all of the way we look at surfing. It's such an incredible, incredible way. And if they run the Olympics there, and they get a swell, the world is going to trip on what surfing is because you, we we go back to those ancient primitive sports that it was based on: throwing a spear, throwing a stone, you know, running fast. And yeah. I, the Olympic Games needs us. Yeah. Needs surfing, needs skateboarding, needs snowboarding, needs these creative action sports to stay relevant and and to be a part of that environment and to go there. And I, like I said, in those COVID games, I felt the world coming together in the name of sport and the fact that there's all these people that don't have to get jobs and they play their sport for a living yeah. and I got to surf for a living. To me, that's the greatest gift I could have been given. Yeah. You know, I'm so grateful for that. And so I feel like that's that's the gift for the future is we figure this thing out. We get through these sticky bits and hopefully they, they come up with good solutions and respect respectful solutions and we move forward positively. That's you know what we all hope, I suppose. Yeah. I'm going to quickly shift gears to coaching, yes. if I could, Barton. Yeah. Um, some surfers have a stylish approach to wave riding. Uh, others are more technical, perhaps points-based approach to wave riding. You as a coach of competitive surfing, do you find it easier to make a dancer out of the points-based technical surfer, or is it easier to teach a scoring technique to a stylish surfer? That's a fantastic question, mate. I love it. That's a really good question. Um, and there are those, you know, like, and I suppose if you're talking stylish, and we're talking Vans Pipeline Masters, you know, and the most recent thing in our minds, mind goes to Mikey February and that approach that he has has on a wave. Then you'll go to Chiba, Japan for an event. And Mikey ain't going anywhere. 
You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And and Isolo or Gabrielle, and they're and you go, oh, how did they do that to that little wave? So there's there's those there are these when you are involved in an art form, a creative art form that is a dance to some, a job to others. You know, and it's it's this broad spectrum, and it's something different to everyone. Um, I don't work too much. Obviously, there's the technical space where this hand goes, where that you know, and that that body mechanics. That's not a space that I focus on straight out of the bat because I don't really care. Sure, you know, you can make everyone look the same and make them all look good. You know, and my mind, my mind would go to. You know, even let's say Taro Watanabe, mm-hmm. beautiful surfer, incredible style. Mm-hmm. Um, is it? Is there a that much of a difference, say, between Tom Curran and and that style? So what happened years ago and was determined as benchmark mm-hmm. was studied. Hands were put in certain ways and things were, you know, it's like the Christmas tree and you, you're putting the arms of the Christmas tree in different places to make it look a certain way. I'm still studying that. Yeah. And so <laughs> I don't really spend much time studying that. Yeah. I'd rather see the individuality and the personality and the style. And the thing that not sterilized, but um, created uniformity mm-hmm. to that was videos. Yeah. When you couldn't see people surf bar a surf movie that came out once every six months you know, when we were kids. Um, the movie had come out, and the thing I remember is Jerry Lopez wiping his nose at the bottom of Pipeline. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I'd take off on one at Manly as a kid, and I'd bottom turn the video, and I'd stand there and wipe my nose just because I wanted to feel like Jerry Lopez. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. And so that was that was as far as it went. Then you'd see the styles of the Brazilians, the South Africans, and people that hadn't had the exposure that I had in Australia to a lot of styles. And and they had some, you know, they had some quirky individual weirdness going on that I loved. It was so cool, mate. He looked like him and he looked like him and they were themselves. We now live in, a, in an age where we've all seen what is considered to be good style and good technique so much that I dare say it's actually easy. To replicate so to be a a free surfer based in that style thing is actually easy yeah. not difficult mate yeah. you know what i mean it's not yeah. something i look at and, and go oh, incredible because it's it's been done for years it's yeah. nothing new it's retracing yeah. old ground yeah. but because of our romantic love for it it's always good it's always appreciated and respected but then i'll see a italo yago gabrielle and I'll go, oh, now I ain't saying that's new. How much did he just make of that little nothing of, you know? And yeah. so for me, they're different humans yeah. and, and different mindsets. Putting them together, comparing them is a wasteless, a pointless waste of time as an exercise. They're yeah. different. They're different things. But I definitely believe the free surfer route is the easy route. It's the cheaper route. And it's the way you kind of. You kind of turn from yeah. something you're not very good at and find mm-hmm. a lane that you're good at and you exploit that for right. a career. Um, right. the, the hardest route is going to compete. Yep. There's no question about that in my mind. And and you you have to deny in some ways, you have to work and surf to a system. 
You have to work and surf in a way that might not even be you, but it's for points. And in the modern day, it's really easy. I've got to say that. In the modern day of, of heading towards the vault, um, you want you don't want six. Like as a free surfer, you and I are paddling out there and we're looking for the one that tapers and gives us six. I don't want a closeout that gives me two. There's no interest in a closeout that gives me two. As a competitor, you don't want the one that tapers and gives you six. You want the closeout and gives you two. So when I'm, they don't want more than two. Yeah. You do more than two, you'll start to get less points. Right. It's the weirdest thing. It doesn't make that sense. Is weird. That is weird. Uh, it, and the, the quickest, easiest way to a, to an eight-point ride or to a score these days is two backhand re-entries on a closeout. And it will more often than not score seven points and above for two backhand re-entries that Damien Hardman and Oki did 20 years ago. And that is, that is a, to me, as a coach, that's what I, I go, hey, go out, find the closeout. If it's only got one, fair enough. But if it's got two, better. And it's got to stay <laughs> tall. It's got to stay tall, yeah. right? It yeah. can't tape. If it tapers in any way, they lose. They lose attention span. Yeah. If it tapers in any way, or you do too much, they're not going to appreciate it. Two yeah. on a closeout on a tall wall. It's nearly eights all the time. That's amazing. And, I've and, never and thought that, about that, it like that. That's the recipe right now. Two yeah. backhand turns on a closeout that stays tall. You will get a seven plus ride every time, and. There is nothing futuristic about it. There's nothing difficult about it. And it's being done. Like I said, I look at now and I go, well, Damien Hardman and Mark Ocalupo today, yeah, they would be winning all kinds of heats. It's basically like, like Matt about Wilkinson. Us. It reminds me of Matt Wilkinson or, there you go. or those, any number of backhand goofy things. Those big, those good backhand surfers that come to your mind. That's it's 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 really at this point in time, it's the most easy to understand criteria that I most probably have ever seen. And and it's it's all about tall wall, less is more, and just do something big, you know? And you can get those ways without priority. They, and it takes a it takes a while for a, a young competitor to understand, because they're looking for the taper and the good ones too. It's just the natural yeah. way as a surfer. You want the good one. You want the perfect one that runs and gives you six. But as well, a competitor- it, it could also be argued that as we, as we grow up in the competitive ranks, we're trained to go get, length of ride well we were that's yeah. what it was it was the floor routine before 100 yeah. percent, and it is now the vault and i, I, I my belief is somewhere in between there mm -hmm. is the middle ground that doesn't deny the performance art but still has the spectacular nature of something big and dynamic um it's got to be said that narratives people get into positions of power in a sport and have an opinion and voice that narrative. And then I watch the sport itself change uh, based on that narrative. And I believe it's an unconscious change. And one of the great examples of that was Jadson Andre, Miguel Pupo come on tour. They can catch a two and turn it into a 10. And they do it so many times that it pisses people off who can't do it. Yeah. Right. And and the judge people start going, it's not fair that they can catch that terrible wave and just do one air and get a an eight or a nine or a ten. What's that's that's bullshit. That's not right. You know, da 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 da. And the judging then it got to the point where those guys went from getting eights and tens to fours and getting better scores. Miggy and Jadson, particularly for backhand entries. Yeah. They went, they both stopped doing airs. The judges sterilized the airs out of their performance is what happened. Yeah. 
because yeah. they wouldn't reward it because yeah, of the criticism it. that mm-hmm. was circling on the side. Oh. Mm-hmm. Right. So there's this criticism on the side. There's a subconscious change in the judging. They stop scoring the airs they are because they don't like being criticized. And all of a sudden, Jadson, Andre and Miguel Pupo stop doing airs and get bigger scores for backhand re-entries that I can do. Yeah. It's not right. And what happened then was Joel Parkinson and Mick Fanning won world titles in the early 2000s without doing an air or year. Yeah. Right, and yeah. that was a, that's a that's an indication of a, a subliminal impact of criticism on the judging system that had a, an impact over time. You didn't see Jaddy and when's the last time you saw Jaddy and and Mickey do airs? Yeah, they were the point. best too. I remember seeing them at U.S. Opens, going, "Oh my god, these kids are unbelievable! How's it they turn these things into nothing into?" Um, but that 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 was a distinct moment in time where I watched the, you know, and no no. No criticism of, of Mick and Joel, because I love both those guys, and they're both incredible, incredible, beautiful surfers. But at that point in time, it was hard for my mind to imagine winning world titles without doing an air. Didn't seem like it was like heading in the right direction, but that's what happened. Yeah. Then the narrative came on about length of ride and how length of ride was bad. And it was da 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 And now as a byproduct of that criticism, we've ended up at the two-turn eight. Yep. And that's so I've watched the 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 ebbs and flows and the criticism of the criteria and then it it subliminally adjusting to the criticism so it doesn't get criticized without even knowing it's most probably doing it. You yeah. know what I mean? And it adjusts and, and so you see those things happen in the sport. And as a coach, my job's to understand where it is at that point in time. And now you just go for a closeout and get two big hits on it backhand, you're on. You do that twice in a heat, you do four turns. On two backhand waves for you, whether you're goofy or natural, and they're straight up, they're vertical, they're tight on a big, steep, tall wall, and you will get an eight more often than not. And you need to do two waves, four turns, and you'll win most heats. I read an interview um, with you that Matt Warshaw did a long time ago, and you mentioned that you had a run-in with Shane Horan and that Shane was purposely trying to get in your head, and you had mentioned Rabbit, and there were some others during that time that were probably um, famous for mind games michael peterson before your time for for mm-hmm. example a few years ago um you and i watched zeke lao try to get in john john's head i think it was in brazil or somewhere and um i'm wondering as a coach um do you think that contemporary competitors now on the wsl play head games to that level that zeke tried to do was that a one-off and is that something that's missing yeah um i believe that you know, there, there were some masters of that, right? And desperation and hunger and not enough food on the table will make you delve into inside yourself to find things inside of you to get that food so you can eat. That if there's enough food on the table, you just won't bother. Yeah. Human nature, mate, lazy. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Largely unmotivated. Largely mm-hmm. wanted really just be like a puppy and be looked after. Mm-hmm. Right, and so when we did it, there wasn't enough food in that table, mate. And if you didn't get in and in and scrap, you weren't going to eat. Yeah. And so there were masters at game playing, and with Rabbit and Shane and Mark Richards, all of that generation, Sean Tom, all of that generation, they were masters at game playing. And they might have you in a heat a couple of days time and know and see you riding a board and just go, oh, "That board's different. Did you change boards?" Knowing knowing <laughs> that you haven't. 
You know what I mean? And all of a sudden you're questioning your board because they thought it looked different. And you're going, oh, no, does it look different? Is it bad? What have I reached my peak on this board? Do I need another? Oh, no. You know, and it doesn't take much. Simple little drop of a couple of words. You're not feeling good today. Mm-hmm. You look a bit white. What's wrong, mate? You know, whatever it was, that 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 type of gamesmanship was around because we were hungry, mate. Yeah. And we had to eat. And if you didn't, if you didn't get in and mix it and scrap, you weren't eating. And then as time went by, um, Kelly had the money and most probably didn't need, there was enough food for him to eat. But there is an extraordinary competitive spirit inside of that young man that is beyond anything I've ever met. Yeah. You know, and I remember Tavarua Island back in the early days on a, on a trip when he was a kid and I went with Brock Little and Tom Survey was the photographer and and Kelly Kelly was upset because he lost a table tennis event that night. He got knocked out early. He proud that table tennis for two hours until a winner was decided. And I'm watching him thinking, wow, how's this kid? He's competitive. The minute the winner was decided, he went, hey, I'll play you. You and me now. Let's go. You and me right now. Let's go. And I'm going, wow. The night before it was a shell contest where everyone had to get up and, and give a presentation, do something around a shell, a poem, a song, a story, whatever. It was just part of what happened there every Tuesday night with the yeah. guests. Yeah. The boat drivers judged it. Kelly's turn. Oh, I'm not ready. I'm not ready. And he's pretending to write. I'm watching him. He's pretending he's not writing. He wants to go last strategically and deliberately to succeed in the shell contest. Wow. I watch it goes on. I'm, I'm a competitor in my prime, yeah. right? in my prime. And I'm watching him and this, and, and he goes last on purpose. Really good poem. I, I was impressed. I remember thinking, smart kid, mate. That was great. <laughs> but he doesn't win it. And he checks the judges sheets of the, of the shell contest. And comes and goes, hey, you got a 10, you didn't deserve a 10. And he was bummed he didn't win the shell contest. He was bummed he didn't win table tennis. I couldn't care less about either of them. But to him, success was so important at everything he did. Didn't matter what it was that he was doing, he wanted to succeed. And that's what that that that's what drives you to 11. Yeah. I got one and went, woohoo, that'll do me, bro. After <laughs> he's stoked on that. You know what I mean? Yeah. But so there's, these, there's the differences in personality. That, that create that, and then there's the differences in time and, yeah. and what's on the table, so to speak. And so um, as the tables got fuller and fuller, that the Brazilians came along with that desire. No one cared like them. And yeah. even if you look at Shane Dorian and Rob Machado and Taylor Knox and the generation around Kelly, none of them cared like Kelly. Yep. The old high five with Kelly at Pipeline, Rob. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, that was an indication of the level to which Kelly had played and disarmed all of the generation around him. I remember when they made the final at the Pro Junior at Narrabeen and they both rode when they were juniors and they came to Australia for the Pro Junior and they rode the final, first wave of the final, they both rode at Switchfoot. Yeah. And I remember all of us going, that's pretty disrespectful. Mm-hmm. You're in the final of the most important junior event in the world and you two are going to just make it a joke. But... Kelly made it a joke and then snapped straight back into work. And then his opposition never snapped out. Didn't even know that, you know, Kelly had disarmed him. by going, let's ride the first one's switch, Mm. but then got straight to work. And the other guy was still switching his mind. He never switched on after switching off. And I saw that (laughs) in that generation. Kelly played that game. He learned from us, mate. He learned from our generation. He played that game and no one else played it like him. Or could yeah. compete with him on desire and on creative intelligence, and, and probably 
I also would suggest, and, and I don't know, but Kelly growing up as the youngest with two older brothers and not much food on the table, so mm. to speak, mm. I probably, he had that innately sort of nature over uh, nurture or nurture over nature. And then he was able to see the, the perils of drinking. Oh yeah. And, and alcoholism and, and around him and he's in his environment. And he had the courage and the strength based on that determination to, to lead our sport essentially out of being a drug-based popularity contest, right, where the bad guys were the ones from Michael Peterson all the way through, mate, where the, you know, the people who were the bad guys, the naughty guys, the ones who were misbehaving, and they were the superstars. Yeah. They were the ones glorified right. by sport. And when Kelly came along and didn't play that game, didn't have to play that game, he he saved countless countless individuals from a life of drug and alcohol even to this you know to this day mate he is a he's just for me he you know that's what like while all of the surfing and everything else is just the most astonishing wonderful thing his influence on our culture and his ability to drag it away from what was you know back in the early days you watch that film sea of darkness you understand the, the 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 dark roots of surf um, surfing with drug running, all of that stuff into the companies and their connections to the drugs and, and being funded off the back of some of that. And, you know, I was watching it. It used to annoy me because I was straight yep. and sober. Well, I drink, but not, you know. Um, and I used to just infuriate me the way the, the media would glorify the people who were doing drugs and who were the bad guys. And it was the way to go. And it, it took, you know, we could just, write a list of all the people that ended up in rehabs and some recovered and some didn't mm -hmm. you know? um, and yeah. I put myself in that in that that basket because at a point in my career after winning it almost it felt wonderful to to be liked by people and yeah. I was in a group of people because I did drugs yeah. that's what it was all of a sudden you were liked all of a yeah. sudden you were cool and I was yeah. going wow this is pathetic but it's nice to have mates you know what I mean? And so <laughs> Kelly, Kelly single-handedly almost through who he is and the way he has lived his life has dragged surfing out of that clogmire of, of personal disease and destruction into what it is today. And at that, that to me is his great, you know, I see that as his greatest legacy is the fact that he kind of straightened out the sport in that sense. And now there's parents involved and the kids have got, you know, the, you look at young Aaron Brooks, you look at the, the quality of the people we have, the young people we have coming through and, and it's, it's a beautiful thing. And it's largely because um, of that crazy desire he had and how dominant he was, but at the same time, how strong inside he was and how he didn't play the, the games for popularity. He just won. Will Kelly Slater be given an opportunity to win a gold medal? No. The Olympic Games, well, the Olympic Games and to compete at the Olympic Games, you have to go through basic. I know. I know all of that. I'm just yeah. saying. <laughs> I, I don't Do think you think happened. there's I mean, some caveat because there's been talk of a caveat. I would love it. I mean, because NBC wants it. The IOC yeah. would love I mean, it's a good story. I, I personally, as a fan, would love it if Kelly yeah. Slater won the gold medal at eight foot Chopu. Yeah, we, we did a little bit of work earlier this year together, Kelly and I. And the first thing I said to him was, why? And he goes, why what? I go, why another heat? Why? Why, why another jersey? Why another heat? Why another contest? Why? 
And I said, if the why is strong enough, good. The why ain't strong enough. There's no, what's the reason, you know? And he went, oh, good question. The and gold the medal is a pretty good why, though. The Olympics, that is the why for Kelly. That's yeah. the, and he said to me, he said, look, Bill, honestly, he goes, I'm holding on by the tether. He goes, I don't know if I've got it to last that long. You know, so he he was he was considering it. He would he would go, and he would love to go, and we would all love it. And if he went there and he got it, it somehow outside of rules and regulations that exist in Olympic sport, which is very hard to see that happening. Yeah. And I say is Sean Thompson. Um, I'm not sure if you know this, but Sean Thompson reached out to all the world champs and sent a letter to the ISA on behalf of all of us with all our signatures, saying, "Hey, put the king in, mate." Yeah, King's got to be in. We want to yeah. see him go surf. Chopra, this could be the because I see it like you do. It's the most perfect ending to the most incredible career. And if he went there and could very well win gold at that location, and with that focus, if he knew he was going, he said to me, "He goes, if I knew I was going, we were about to go to Portugal. He goes, I wouldn't be going to Portugal. I'd be going to Chopra." He goes, if I knew I was going to the Olympics, I would be there on every swell. I would be focused in that space. And he would potentially go and win and take, walk away with the gold. And we would just all go, that was the greatest career in the history of sport. You I, know? I no think this what. needs to happen. I think when you think, I spoke with Matt George recently and he said, hey, yeah. look, Michael Jordan was frigging in the Olympics. Um, you right. know, like some of the greatest tennis players, you know, like probably yeah. Djokovic, um, you know, like. Tiger, I don't, I don't know if Tiger was in the Olympics, but my point is the greatest in sport that we're professionals, that our professionals have just been given the opportunity yeah. to be in it. And I think that we owe that to the yeah. world to give Kelly that opportunity. And it's not because like, if he couldn't win it, I'd be like, it's over. Don't yeah, let's yeah, not yeah. do it. If it was in Japan, I'd be like, oh, well, forget it. Yeah. But it's a chopu. He could easily <laughs> win. There's no doubt. I excuse me. Yeah, I, I agree, mate. No, I feel the same way. I would love it. I feel like it's it's the most perfect fitting you know, end to a fairy tale. It may be, it may in reality be two years too late. And if something had happened, it, it came in 2016, not 2020. Guaranteed, mate, it was happening. Um, and it might just be one of those ironic twists of life and energetic things that, that means you don't get the chance. Yeah. Because there are rules and regulations where you can't just put him in because we all want him in. And that's that's the reality of structured, organized sport with um, direct lines of, of, of qualification. Yeah. And you, can't, you, you can't. If you're ISA, they'd love it too. I know. Everyone, that's the thing. Everyone wants it to happen, yeah. except but perhaps. I don't know that you can walk outside the regulations of Olympic sport because you all we all like the idea, you know? <laughs> so time will tell. Who yeah. knows? But um it doesn't it doesn't feel likely at this point in time from what i understand martin we've said a lot we've we've talked at length here for an hour and a half let's um Have talk we? yeah well let's talk quickly about barton lynch pro surfing this uh, new video Please. game well it's not new but it's a new version of it allows the surf fan the ability to travel the world explore through the perspectives of some of the world's best surfers in an exciting and vibrant way and uh, you and i as users can play as renowned surfers such as Felicity Palometer, Clay yeah, Felicity Marzo, Palmatier, yeah, Flick. Palmatier, thank you, Ooh. Nathan Florence, Vahini, Fierro, as you mentioned, and more. And the game simulates some of the world's most exotic and famous surf locations, including Pipeline, which we spoke about, yeah. and Manly, which I find hard to believe that that's exotic. I will give you that it's famous. Uh, tell me a little bit about the Barton Lynch Pro Surfing. 
Yeah, um, Manly's in there as like the beginner, beginner turf, so to speak. You know, yeah. Um, and, and where you can learn to play in a in a less difficult situation. So it happened about four years ago. The West brothers from Bangara Software approached me and said, "We're building a surfing video game. We'd love you to be involved." And I was like, "Yeah, sweet." You know, but I don't see myself getting any other video game opportunities anytime soon. <laughs> um, and, and you know, I've never played a video game, for the record. Yeah. So. Um, it was a it was strange turf for me. And I said to them, you know, I, I've never played a video game. They go, it doesn't matter. You know, we could da 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 da. Um, I go, well, what do you want me to do? And I thought I'd be, you know, making the contact as a consultant with the industry, which we did. So events are sponsored by Quicksilver and Billabong and, you know, the big events, uh, uh, brands in our sport. And then I they asked me to contract surfers. And this was four years ago. And, you know, and mid, mid-production, mid their partner got bought out by a French conglomerate. So we were supposed to be out two years ago, but they got their partner got bought out by a French conglomerate who said, we want you guys out and we'll keep the game and we'll pay you to get out. And the boys, they this is their pet project, mate. This is what they've always wanted to do their life. They're surfers yeah. and they're yeah. gamers. They want to build a surfing video game. So they went... We're going it alone. So they stepped out with no funding, no finance, no nothing. And so we're a completely independent production. Yeah. And and that's what took the extra two years to get to market was the fact that they they weren't going to, they could have walked with cash, yeah. but they just went, nah, this is our baby. We're going to do it. The, if we've got to do it, we'll do it the hard way. Um, so it's a miracle we got to market in itself, first and foremost. And then when it came to contracting surfers, for, anything could have happened in four years. Right. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. but all of the people I contracted, so Nathan Florence, you compare where he is today to where he was four years ago. He's on amazing. Yago <laughs> Dora. He's on the up. Uh, you know, um, and, and then, and then uh, who else did we have? Well, Sol Solly Bailey. Okay. Felicity Palmatia. She's doing amazing things now, commentating for WSL on the big wave tour, yeah. um, doing amazing things. Vahini Fierro developed into the queen of Chopu. Mahina Maeda is a Japanese Olympian mm -hmm. and represents Japan at the Olympics. And I'm, oh, Clay Marzo. How could I forget Clay? He was the first guy I contracted. Um, so all of the people that we contracted four years ago in the, and me too, like, you know, what my, social media reach and, and position is compared to four years ago. Now, all of us in the, um, the eight of us in that time have taken our careers to a whole nother level that has all been good for the game. Yeah. And so as a talent scout, so to speak, and someone looking to contract people that far out, I feel like I, that's what I'm most proud of yeah. is that I, I pick people who built their careers into something so much greater than they were when we contracted them. Yeah. to our benefit you know and to theirs and and then um then they said and we want to call it barton lynch pro surfing and the first thing i said was i kind of scoffed and went surely you can get a better name than me and i still feel like that i was like surely you can get a better name than me really and they go well we're using the madden nfl model and john madden was a player and then a coach and a commentator you're a world champ and a, the coach of favorite voices surfing and 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 it's perfect for us and your reputation people know you you're around and so we get a young kid who knows where he is in a couple of years or so i went you know it's uncomfortable about it i still am in reality yeah. it still feels surreal to be 60 imagine i'm 60 years old 
yeah. some hairy bearded galoot. And there's this video game out there with my name on it. The kids are playing. And like they they would have told me that 40 years ago. I just would have laughed. There probably wasn't even video games then as, as a thing. Yeah. And, you know, there wasn't a beard in my future either. So, I mean, I think it's, you know, it's one of those ones where for me it was a no-brainer because I'm not holding out for another video game project at any point. Um, I was a little shy and still a little embarrassed about my name being on it, to be honest. Um, but, uh, you know, we're out in the market and the boys yeah. have followed through and it's a you know, truly independent production. And in a point of um, multinational corporate globalism, mm-hmm. I love the fact that um, we're with an independent with an independent production. These boys, these couple of brothers from Perth, Western Australia, made this thing happen, got it to market, fought tooth and nail uh, to make it happen, and saw their dream come through. And uh, yeah, I, it's, it's just kind of trips yeah. me. It blows me away, really. I go, wow, I can't believe this. It's a trip. That's so cool. Well, look, um, I have so much that I could talk to you about, but um, we have come to the end of our time here. I would like to speak with you again in the future at some time. I always enjoy sh- talking to you. You've got so much insight. It's incredible. And um, we've said a lot here. And I, I just want to thank you for being a part of the Boardroom Podcast. Nah, it's my pleasure, mate. I, I, I love the chats too, because we always we, we always go to interesting places and you frame things up that that make me think and challenge challenge me to consider the question rather than just roll out some rehearsed bullshit you know what i mean which i don't i don't really do ever but i'm, I'm always winging it yeah i just call i just call it winging a prayer productions you know what i mean because i never know even with commentating i don't know what i'm going to say no. i don't know what i have said i come out of the booth and i don't even remember what's come out of my mouth because i just watch what i see and i say what i see and it's the same here i try to speak from the heart and and give people a real true indication of who I am and how I feel. And at a point in time where it's not the most popular, it's definitely easier to shut your mouth and play a game. Mm -hmm. I mean, in reality, perhaps my political opinions at times cost me my job with WSL Mm -hmm. and I don't get to commentate uh, the world tour. And I sit there and I watch events and I know I'm meant to be commentating. I see things happen in front of me that they don't see, that they don't Mm -hmm. even illuminate. They don't even mention and I feel like, oh, so, oh, they just missed that whole thing. And I get so sometimes emotional, a little bit hurt by the fact that I don't get the chance to to do what I feel like I'm meant to be doing, you know? Yeah. But um, that's that if, if, if you live by your rules, you live by what you believe and you 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 voice that, you got to take the good with the bad. And I've hey. never, I, I've always had a big mouth, so I might learn to shut it up one day, but I doubt you know. It. Uh, just kind of going along what some of the themes of our talk here today, you might be the CEO of the WSL. We just do not know. I, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, I love, and, and again, I love my sport. Eh? What, yeah. it's, what it gives us, you know, I'm sure you'll feel the same way. What yeah. it gives us and you know, what it, what it's done for people and the, the opportunities and the careers to watch an industry flourish, to watch pro surfing flourish, to watch it go through all of those ups and downs and ebbs and flows from positives to negatives to success to failure and see it travel the you know what have i been around 60 and i've been watching it since i was 15 i've been around for 45 years watching this thing and it's it's a gift to all of us and um you know 
then then the other side of the coin is we can just paddle out and go surf any day and we don't need any of it. Because on its own, it's good enough. Which is what we're going to do right now. Yeah, it's what we're going to do right now. (laughs) Exactly, man. Okay, Barton. Hey, buddy. Thanks so much. Until next time, okay? Thank you. Thanks to all the boardroom podcast listeners. Hope you enjoy the show. Right on. Cheers. Right on, mate.
And don't forget to post your job for free at linkedin.com slash surf. That's linkedin.com slash surf to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply.